Hey everybody, John Fenn, Church Without Walls International, CWOWI.org. You know, on every Wednesday, I try to do a uh, a regular teaching, and then I've started adding to our uh, subcategory of house church. So if you're interested in church in the home, look for these that always begin house church, and then a semicolon, and then the, the subject matter after it. So today, talking about how to be a guest in someone's home, it includes what do you do, what do, you do if someone's trying to uh, dominate the meeting, things of that nature. So I'm going to share just a little bit out of 1 Corinthians 14, 26, uh, through the end of the chapter, where Paul gives guidelines for meeting in someone's home. You've got to remember that in Corinth, we are told of its founding in Acts chapter 18, where Paul goes into the synagogue and many people believe in Jesus. And including, it says, in verses 8 9, and you'll look through that passage there in the beginning of Acts chapter 18. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and many of the Jewish people went next door or went to an adjacent home of a man named Justus. And we believe it to be Gaius Justus, a Roman. And they met in his house. They left the synagogue and they met in Justus's house. And it also tells us, and many of the Corinthians believed, which are Greek. So there in the Roman Justus's house, you have Jews, Greeks, and Romans under one roof for the first time in their lives. You'll recall that the, the Jewish people did not mix with the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. In fact, Galatians chapter 2 talks about how when uh, they were in Antioch, how uh, Peter was fine eating with the Greeks, with the, the Greek believers, until people from Jerusalem came, and then he separated himself. And Paul talks about how he rebuked Peter in front of everybody for his hypocrisy. So imagine that kind of a culture thing where you've got the Crispus and the rest of the Jewish people who are now born again, spirit-filled, you know, tongue-talking believers, but they're Jews, Greeks, and Romans under the one roof for, for one, all at one first time in their lives. And you've got to remember, too, though men dominated the society, Greek women were practically worshipped. And Roman women had a little less freedom, and the Jewish women, it depended on the synagogue on, on how much freedom they had. But generally speaking, the women were separated from the men during the synagogue meetings. And so all of this is thrown together in Justice's house. And so uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and among the, the topics in his first letter is how to conduct yourself as a guest in somebody's house. Now, we know he's talking to everyone because he opens his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. He says... Uh, in verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul called as a sent one of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and uh, so, so Th Sothenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So he's actually talking to the church, the whole church. That's men, women, and children. He's talking at Corinth. And so we know that he's talking to everybody. And when we go forward to First Corinthians 14, in fact, let me repeat that to, so people understand. When he opens his letter, it's clear he's talking to men, women, children, everybody, men and women in particular who are going to read this letter. Remember, they're meeting in the home of justice. So when they read this letter, they're reading it as a body. And we know that the other topics that he's talking about leading up to chapter 14 are all about men and women as well. In fact, in chapter 11, he talks about the Lord's Supper and everybody joining together in the Lord's Supper. Previously, he talks about to the wives and tells them to put their veils back on because that's the custom. You're dishonoring your husband because veils in that day and age was like a, a 
wedding ring today. And the Corinthian women, not having any other instruction, were finding great freedom in the Lord. So they were taking their veils off when they went into the house, making the appearance that they were available. And Paul says, put your veils back on. You're dishonoring your husbands. You're dishonoring the angels in charge of your family. You're dishonoring the meeting and your host and hostess. There, so put your veils back on. He tells them three times about the custom, the tradition of, of wearing the veils. And so it was a cultural thing and a regional thing. So he includes the men and women all the way through, the gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12 and, and walking in love in chapter 13. So in chapter 14 in verse 26, when he says, how is it brethren? We know he's talking to everybody because brethren is one of those words that if there are men involved, you'd call them brethren. But if everybody's there, you'd still call them brethren. It can include just men or it can be everybody. So we know from the context, it includes everyone. And so he says, and this is this is verified by the verse itself, how is it, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has tongues and interpretation. Let everything be done decently and in order. So this opens the conversation. He's saying every one of you can participate. Every one of you might have a revelation, might have a teaching, something that God's taught him, might have a moving of, of tongues and interpretation or the gifts of the Spirit, might have a psalm. In fact, he said the first thing, might have a psalm. Psalm is either a song of worship or a prayer. So there might be prayer. There might be the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. You might have a revelation. You might have a teaching. Let everything be done decently and in order. And so this is the flow of what he's talking about. And this is, trust me, we're, we're, we're House Church Network across many nations, many cultures, and it's still applicable today. It's not applicable and it don't, won't make sense in the auditorium, but in the context of church in the home, the way the New Testament was written by apostles doing church in the house, two people doing church in the house, it makes perfect sense. So in verse 27, he says this, if anybody's got an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most three and let somebody interpret. This is not talking about your prayer language. This is talking about, obviously, by the context of verse 27, a tongue that needs to be interpreted. So he says, let there be at the most two or three. So when he's talking about that, uh, he's saying, take turns, let it be by course. So in other words, take turns. You have a tongue that needs to be interpreted and you'll know it because it's not your normal prayer language and there's more force behind it. It's like, wow, I've got to get this out. But he says, in verse 28, he says, if there's nobody to interpret it, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak it to himself and to God. In other words, just because you have a word doesn't mean you have to give it. He said here, he said, if if the, somebody's got a tongue, but there's no one to interpret, then speak it to yourself and to God. You haven't sinned. You see, there's a culture out there that thinks that just because you've got a word, just because you've got this urge to talk, you have to talk. Or just because you think you've got a prophecy or a vision from God or something like that, you know, the idea is I've got to share it because it's from God. Paul says here, no, you don't. In verses 27, 28, he says, if, you, if you've got a word and somebody else has a word next to you, if there's no opportunity to give it, then don't give it. If the I've had many times in the house church uh, settings where felt the leading of the Lord to go in a particular direction, but the host or the hostess who's leading the meeting takes the meeting in another direction. And so I just keep that word between me and the Lord. This happened first in the auditorium church years ago. I was an associate pastor and, uh, and uh, I would often get words of knowledge about uh, the Lord healing somebody. And this one particular Sunday, I had a word about migraine headache. Someone came to church with a migraine headache and the Lord wanted to heal it. And I gave the pastor the, the you know, the notification that his associate pastor, me, you know, had this word, but he went in a different direction. The worship leader went in a different direction. I was never able to, to give that word. So I just quietly said, Father, I, I ask that you would heal whoever that is with a migraine because, you know, there's no opportunity. Uh, there's no way to give that right now, but heal them anyway. 
And it was interesting because after the church service, we were all mingling around, you know, and we were gathering the kids and all the stuff like that. And I heard this lady say, you know what? I came into the church with a migraine headache, but just during the worship, it was like the Spirit of God just fell on me like a blanket, and I just and the Lord healed my migraine. And I went, praise you, Lord, for that, because, because I didn't have to give that word to feel like it's not going to get done if I don't give it. So this is what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 and 27. In 28, you know, he says, let everything be done decently in order. If you and another person have a word, but there's no opportunity to give it, then keep it to yourself and to God. You haven't sinned. Just pray for that situation. Pray for that, whatever that word pertains to, that it still be shared. The point isn't you. The point is that the knowledge of God or the, the move of God gets shared with the body of Christ there. And so he goes on in verse 29. He says, let the prophets judge two or three. Um, let the prophets speak two or three, let the others judge. Verse 29 is a big thing. Let the prophets, or let the prophets judge, uh, let the prophets speak two or three, let the others judge. Now, this is a, he's laying out principles here. Again, this is a guest in somebody's home, so he's laying out principles here. First, he says that if you have a word, um, but there's no interpreter, keep it to yourself. And then he says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the others judge. What that means is, and where we see it around the world today is, that if you think you've got a word from God, it's going to be judged. Uh, he's, he's talking prophet, perhaps literal prophet, but he's also talking in, in the general sense that if somebody is prophesying or they have a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or something like that, it will be judged. You see, house church has to be safe. It's based on the family, so it has to be safe. It has to be secure. No one has the right to violate your, your private uh, private space. No one has the right to violate your privacy. No one has the right to, to force a word on you. And so this is why he says here in 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let the prophet speak two or three and let the others judge. In other words, anything you say can be accepted or rejected and you don't need to get your feelings hurt. You may have a word for somebody and they may they can be polite about it and say, well, thank you, I'll just kind of put it on a shelf or I'll consider that, but they don't have to accept it. And, and you don't have the right to get in their face and say, this is what God is saying and da 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 and power it into them, you know, sort of thing. No, you let the others judge. This has happened so many times in scripture. And one time in particular, and I'll, I'll share this, um, a young lady felt she had a word. In fact, what had happened was uh, the hostess of the day had a tongue, and she said, I don't have the interpretation. Somebody else does. And a lady spoke up and said, I'm supposed to read Isaiah 61. And the hostess said, well, that's not the interpretation I'm looking for, but the, the lady was insistent. And so she read all of Isaiah 61. And so the hostess said, okay, let's go back to, let's just stay before the Lord and see what the interpretation is. And before the guy could raise his hand to say, uh, I've got the interpretation and, you know, I've got the gist of what he was saying. This woman pops her hand up and says, I'm supposed to read Isaiah 62. You know, so it was the next chapter. First she read Isaiah 61, then 62. She wanted to read it. And the, the hostess just shut her down and, uh, well, actually allowed her and then shut her down after that uh, because she said this. She said, what does everybody else believe? And everybody in the house church that morning said, we need to move on. And, and so they shut that young girl down, and she got offended. But what happened is uh, that, that was an implementation of 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let the prophets speak two or three, let the others judge. In other words, this young lady interrupted the flow of the tongues and interpretation, insisting on her own way. And when she wouldn't accept the, the word of the hostess and the host to move on in another direction, then it went to the whole body. And as a body, they said, no, we need to move on. And the young lady got um, got offended instead of just accepting what the previous verse said, 
If you have a word, but there's no opportunity to give it, then keep it to yourself and to God. So she was in the wrong and the body of Christ was in the right there. That house church was in the right there. So just realize anything you say can and will be judged either for or against it. So, so if you share something, realize that you're talking to another person in somebody's home. It has to be a safe place. It has to be a secure, it has to be a polite place. It has to be a place where it's a good place. If you're going to miss it, then you're among friends. And a person is free to say, I'm sorry, that's not for me, or I'm sorry, you know, I'll, I'll just put it on the shelf. I, I'll, I'm just, I'm take it under consideration or under advisement. And so he goes on to say in verse 30, in verse 31, he says, now something is revealed to somebody who sits next to you, then hold your peace. Everybody can prophesy one by one so that all may be learned and may be comforted, but the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And what he means by that is take turns. If you have a word and somebody next to you has a word, defer to them. Let them move in the gifts of the spirit. Let them say what they wanted to say. You can hold back what, what you wanted to say. And, and he says the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. What that means is just because you've got something in your spirit that you think you need to, to share doesn't mean you have to. It's subject to you. So defer to your friend, show politeness, show courtesy, uh, and, and show uh, some social niceties, which again, to the Corinthians, remember there's Jews, Greeks, and Romans under the same roof for the first time in their lives, and Paul's having to teach them basic social niceties. But the thing is, today we are raised with people who weren't raised in a home where a mom and dad taught them how to be a guest in somebody's house. And so they, they're all about, or, or they've got a pet doctrine that they want to push on everybody. They think they've got a captive audience. And we're, we're surrounded by people who don't have any sense of courtesy and politeness and what it is to be a guest in somebody's house. So Paul's writing this to the Corinthians, but it's just as applicable today. And he says this, he says in verse 33, because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So there he's talking about all that he's not the God of confusion. In other words, take turns. And like he said in verse 26, let everything be done decently and in order. And down here he says, for God's not the author of confusion. His concern is that you show niceness, that you show politeness, that you show courtesy, that you take turns, you defer to one another, you walk in love. That's what it's all about in the home meetings. And that works across cultures and across life experience. But sometimes people do have to be taught that a conversational speech. They are used to dominating or they've got a captive audience or they, you know, some man with a spirit of lust is going to make a woman feel uncomfortable, uh, you know, or, or somebody who's working through something, they're going to make somebody or a woman wants to dominate and control people and insist that whatever she is doing is the right way to do things. I mean, it, it varies. You can, you can pull down any reasons why people become rude in, as guests in somebody's house. That could include opening doors that are shut, meaning stay out, but people will nose around somebody's house. It's like, no, 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 learn how to be a guest in somebody's house and realize that you are that guest. So, you know, their things on the shelves are not toys. Uh, you know, doors that are closed remain closed. I mean, you follow certain niceties and courtesies as a guest in somebody's house. Now, the next thing Paul says is, let your wives keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted, permitted for them to speak. Uh, as commands the law, which is actually not the Mosaic law. I mean, if you read Genesis chapter 16, you'll see that Abraham obeyed Sarah. You know, there wasn't anything there. And says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their husbands at home. It's, it's a shame for the wives to speak to the church. And he talks about this within the context of let everything be done decently and in order. We know that Paul is not telling wives to be absolutely silent, but rather that they ask their husbands at home. And remember, Again, in the synagogue, the men and the women were separated. So these wives are coming and they're sitting with their husbands for the first time. And he's telling them to be 
to be asking their husbands at home rather than cause confusion and disrupting the flow of the meeting in there. So that's the, the larger context that he's talking about, taking turns, deferring to one another. Anything you say will be judged. Don't ask questions that are going to cause confusion and everything. You can ask those at home of your husbands until you've been brought up to speed. And that's the way it actually works. That's the way it actually functions in house church. We know that Paul wasn't telling the wives to be quiet because some of his closest friends uh, were women. We know that Lydia was the hostess of the house church in Philippi. He names in Colossians 4.15, he names a woman named Nymphus and the church in her house. We know that Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned six times in scripture and four out of those six times she is mentioned first, and tradition and the grammar of that says that she was a good teacher and that she was the main speaker. And they hosted a church in their house in Rome and later in Ephesus. Uh, Paul names them. And he mentions in Romans chapter 16, many women, including a husband and wife team, Andronicus and Junia, I think it's in verse 7 perhaps, greet Andronicus and Junia, who were apostles, he names a husband-wife team apostles, my kinsmen who were in Christ before me. Uh, there are many women throughout the, the, the ministry of Paul. And you've got to realize this. It is, as Paul said in Galatians 3.28, in Christ there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We are all one in Christ. Spiritually, we are equal, but we exist within cultures and societies that do not recognize the equal, equality of men and women. You know, Adam and Eve together were one. They were equal one with another. And that's how a husband and wife are in Christ. So Paul here in 1 Corinthians 14, if you realize, if you look at the bigger picture and see all the women who were in ministry and hosting house church and everything else in his life, you can, in, in the New Testament, you can see from 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through the end that he's talking about things being done decently in order. And that's why he says, ask the, the husbands at home. So anyway, that's what we see. The word and the spirit agree, folks. And now in, in several dozen nations, we see the same thing happening. The word and the spirit in agreement, all focused on the flow, let the Lord have his way in a meeting. We leave our differences at the door to focus on Jesus. We, we Our pet doctrines and what we believe, we leave those at the door to focus on what is Jesus doing in us. And it's to that end and that reason that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through the end. And as he said, if somebody wants to be ignorant, let him be ignorant still. But realize the context of what he was talking. Take turns. Let everything be done decently in order. Anything you say could be judged one way or the other. And, uh, and, and the Lord will be glorified. And if you have questions, there may be another time for it. So until you're up to speed. Many of our house churches, this happens around the network. We've had house churches with new people, and they've, they've had a separate Bible study on like a Wednesday night or a Friday night for, for some of those people, like Paul describes there in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, you know, all through, he, they have a separate Bible study to bring newcomers up to speed. Uh, maybe they've come out of a denomination or they've come out of, of just the world and they're not sure what it's all about. So they'll have a separate Bible study. That's that's how it's handled. And I, I'd be interested to see how they handled it in the first century, but we won't know till we get to heaven. But we can see the same principles applied today. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. God bless. I went a little long, but I uh, hope, it, hope it ministers to you. C-W-O-W-I dot O-R-G. 